Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. My name is Ted Bendel. Today it was my privilege to share a message I call Our Living Hope, based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Let's get started. As we've been celebrating, Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Share with you some words from the near the end of Luke's gospel. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and, all, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. Today, we celebrate the second of the most amazing events in human history. I was going to say the second of two, but I'm not sure that's quite accurate. The first was the birth of the Son of God to a human mother. The second is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Between these two events, God himself intervened in human history to conquer sin and death and hell and to provide for us a new life with him forever. Now, it's not my intention to go over the evidence that supports our contention that Jesus is alive. If you're doubtful, want to make sure that you understand correctly, we can go over that another time and or corner me after after worship and whatever. But before we get into what I do want to share with you, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We bless you, we praise you for the good news, that incredibly good news, that our Lord Jesus is indeed alive. And thank you, Father, for the testimony of eyewitnesses, people who were there, who saw what really happened, and who accurately reported what they saw 
and how they understood it. Father, thank You. Lord, now we ask that You would, as You did to those early disciples, that You would open our minds and hearts to understand not only the facts, but what it means. Help us, Father, to grasp something of what You have accomplished here that is... And and what it means for today and for the rest of our lives. (coughs) Father, we thank You for all of this. In the name of the Word, the living Word, our Lord Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had a discussion with a person who had not yet had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus. And it quickly became apparent that we were using the same word, and the word was hope, with radically different meanings. So as a consequence, the conversation on this idea became difficult. Just one example. I mean, we use the word all the time, but we use it with a variety of meanings. For example, a student might say, I hope I pass that exam. Right? You said it. I've said it. But when we say it like that, what we're really expressing is doubt. We're saying that we have no assurance that we answered the questions correctly. And Paul used the word in this sense. When he he wrote to the church at Rome and he said in Romans 15, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He had no assurance that he would be able to go to Spain or that if he did, he would be able to stop in Rome on the way. But it was his long-range plan. But still... By this time, Paul had learned to hold his plans in open hands and to trust God to lead him appropriately. One writer defined this kind of hope as to wish for, even to expect, but without certainty of the fulfillment. To desire very much, but with no real assurance of getting your desire. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, there are hundred, well, well over a hundred places in Scripture where the word hope is used to mean something so different that it almost needs a different word. In those places, the word hope refers to a confident expectation based on the absolute sovereignty and infallibility of God. As I put it during that discussion, 
It's something that is underwritten by God Himself. And He cannot fail. So this morning I'd like us to look at one of those places where this word hope is used. I say it's, by my count, there are more than 120 places in the Scriptures where the uh, where the word is used in this sense. First Peter chapter one and verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's all one sentence. You know, in our English classes, we used to be chastised for run-on sentences. <laughs> Apparently, Greek schooling didn't include that limitation. Peter has packed a huge amount of awe and excitement into this sentence. And here he, but he, he summarizes a lot of the Christian life. But look at the center of it all. The center event. The guarantee. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And he starts off, he says, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. John tells us about a conversation that Jesus had with a certain member of the ruling council of the Jews. And in that conversation, he told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then a a couple of minutes later, he said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here in Peter's declaration, that God has caused us to be born again, He is clearly not talking about everyone. Not everyone will choose to benefit from this mercy extended to a fallen, broken, corrupt humanity. Not everyone will be honest before God. Not everyone will acknowledge their need. Not everyone will be honest enough to recognize that they stand in need of God's mercy. And yet, God has extended that mercy. And yet, you can be honest enough. You can receive that mercy. Because the promise of the Scripture is, That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will 
be saved. And we're not talking about mere words. It's easy enough to say the words. But is Jesus truly your Lord? Have you given Him authority over your life to direct you so that you willingly and eagerly do what He requires of you, what He's told us He expects of us in the Scriptures, even when society tells us to do something else. Is He your Lord? And do you truly believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Or is that still a question? See, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, the very reason that you were born again is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, all we have here is a dead martyr. And as Paul put it, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the reason that you can be born again is simply because of the resurrection. A second point that Peter raises here is a living hope. What does that mean? He said, according to His great mercy, God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One result of having been born again is that our ultimate allegiance is to a different reality. To the king above all kings, prime ministers, presidents, governors, emperors, dictators, whatever. And that king, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made many great and precious promises to us and has proved his ability to fulfill those promises by his resurrection. So we no longer live in a wish-it reality with its attendant uncertainties and doubt. We live in a reality that is undergirded and guaranteed by the living God Himself. Consequently, we have a living hope. And this living hope of what lies before us on the other side of the grave is what drives us today. When he was writing to the church at Colossae, Paul said, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. One of the reasons why we Christians like to hang out together, to talk about the Bible, to pray together, and to want others to join us in this incredible journey with Jesus, is because of our confident hope and expectation of what is to come. Knowing what lies ahead of us, our living hope, is what motivates us in the here and now. That's the reason why we willingly and joyfully sacrifice time and resources to serve others and to share this incredibly good news with others. That's why Christians were motivated to adopt throwaway children and to ultimately start orphanages. That's why Christians, during the Black Plague, that swept through Europe. Why Christians started hospitals, started caring for the sick and the dying when society thought that these people were dangerous and not worth the effort. And that is why today Christians labor to rescue young women from the sex trade to provide clean drinking water to drought-stricken areas of this planet, to reach out to young people who have been taught lies, to reach out to them, to rescue them, and to teach them and to share the truth with them. And this living hope is what continues to motivate us to share the gospel even when it seems that most of the world today simply doesn't want to hear it. There is something about knowing where we are headed that impacts us where we are. And this is all because of the resurrection of Jesus. And somehow, that speaks of an inheritance. Peter says, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection, of Jesus. We have an inheritance that is simply unimaginable. It's beyond our reach to imagine it. Now, think about this. The word inheritance refers to property that is passed down on the original owner's death. Right? But in this case, the death has already occurred. Jesus, God the Son, died in your place and in mine. And as a result, 
we share his inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of the living God. What is it that we inherit? Think about this. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm not sure I want the earth, but be that as it may. He said later that we will inherit the kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world. That we will inherit eternal life. And Paul observed that our inheritance includes, get this, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. That's what God has prepared for those who love Him. And this inheritance is imperishable, It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. However long it might be before we see it, it's being kept securely. Our inheritance is imperishable. It can't be subject to any form of decay. It's an inheritance that is forever fresh. That always keeps its value. It's undefiled. It it can't be affected by the imperfections of sin that all the other things on this earth are affected by. And it will be forever pure as it is right now in the heavens. Our inheritance is also unfading. Its value is not subject to the ups and downs of the stock market. Its value is simply not lost over time. It will not grow old or rot. It will never become a boring thing to us. And what's more, it's kept as safe, well, as safe as as God. Peter says that it's far out of reach of any kind of theft or damage because it is reserved in heaven for us. Every bit of it will be kept for us. And if our hearts and minds are rightly oriented toward this hope, then our hope is as secure in this world as our inheritance is in heaven. In other words, our inheritance is more and greater than we can possibly imagine. It's worth living and dying for. And we receive it, we qualify to receive it by receiving God's great mercy by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that is a sure and certain hope. Peter goes on a little bit more. He says this inheritance 
um, is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is our inheritance from the ra- uh, safe from the ravages of time, but we as believers are also being guarded through our faith for a salvation that is yet to be revealed. Because we have placed our hope, because we have placed ourselves under the kingship of the Lord Jesus, He guarantees our eternal safety and security. But, week by week, we pray for our brothers and sisters who do not find this to be an easy road. And there's no guarantee of smooth sailing for any of us. Many of us have gone through some severe trials. Jesus reminded us that in the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We still live in a fallen, broken world. And bad things will still happen. Even, and maybe even especially to followers of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus is continually interceding for us. Just like he told Peter on the eve of his arrest. Remember what he told Peter? When Peter was all bravado, I'm not going to forsake you. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. If we will trust the Lord God to be guarding us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then these hard times, and they come, they will come, guaranteed, hard times will come, but they will become times of training in righteousness and faithfulness. That won't necessarily make them any easier to handle. I speak from experience here. But, as we work with the Lord Jesus in the midst of that, we'll come to understand the grace and the generosity of our God. And we will learn obedience all the better. Remember that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews said that even Jesus, although He was a son, learned obedience through what He suffered. So we're in good company. Now this world will do its best to get us to doubt God 
to get us to believe lies about ourselves and about others and about God. Our own personal battles within will try to pull us away from God and His ways. However, regardless of the onslaughts, the attacks on our hearts and minds and souls, the Scripture describes every child of God as being, by God's power, guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Know and remember that all things, yes, the tough times too, all things work together for them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. Why? Because God is intent on forming us, on transforming us into the very image of the Lord Jesus Himself. Tell you, He's got a lot of work to do. And He uses mostly those hard times. But no one can take God's salvation away from you. No one can take you out of God's hand. It's the living God who's doing the protecting. And He's doing the defending. And He's going to make sure that you receive the salvation that He purchased for you through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have every reason to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done the impossible in your life and in mine. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we've received His mercy. And we have been born again, and that to a living and vibrant hope. We've been forgiven and adopted into the family of God. We've been promised an indescribable inheritance in Jesus. And we've been assured that both that inheritance and we ourselves will be preserved for the last time. Whenever that will be. Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus is a time to thank God for what He has done in your life and in mine. Our past has been forgiven. Our present is being redeemed. And our future is guaranteed. All praise goes to God for this because He raised Jesus from the dead. So if you are a believer today, leave here praising God for what He has done, for who He is. And I pray that regardless how tough your, or difficult your life might be today, because of Jesus. Know this, that because of Jesus, 
the greatest days are ahead of you, not behind you. So leave here today with a living hope, expecting God to work all things together for good. You might be grieving because of a loss, or you may be hurt because of something someone did or said, but because of Jesus and His resurrection, you can rise above it. The declaration of Scripture is that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. And that is because of the resurrection. So I pray that you'll leave here today knowing that your salvation, your very salvation, is protected by God. It's not protected by how good you are or how much you know or how much you do. It's protected by God's grace and by the mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection does. And if you're not yet a believer, if you haven't yet been that honest before God, I pray that you'll leave here today convinced. Convinced beyond shadow of doubt that Jesus loves you. That He suffered for you. That He was crucified for you. That He died in your place. And that He rose again so that you could be born again and become part of His family and of His kingdom. May all of us leave here today praising God for the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank You. We praise You. We bless You. Thank You, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead. For giving us this living hope. This assurance of Your mercy. Lord, apart from You, we have no hope. Everything is shrouded in doubt and uncertainty. But with You, there are no limits. And you have given, you have given us so much. So we praise you, Father. And again, we commit ourselves to you that you would do in us and through us all that will bring you glory and praise. And we bless you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.